Hello, everybody out there in Twitter. Um, welcome to the writer's block. Hopefully, we'll have my co-host, Brandon, here in just a minute. But until that happens, just wanted to say hi. Um, tonight, we have kind of an open forum. We're going to talk about whatever we want to talk about. Usually, Brandon hops on and has some random strange question for me. There's Brandon. We're going to invite him as a co-host. And then he's going to hop on here. Brandon, how's it going? Hello, Jake. How's it going? Good. I didn't get... Normally, you send me, like, an invite. So, sorry, I'm running I'm a little bit late. But that's fine. It wouldn't, it wouldn't let me invite this time. It was really oh, weird. So. Again, technical difficulties. We got to teach you some stuff here. Listen here, you. <laughs> uh, it's been a week. It has been a it's week. Been, it's Wednesday. been a lot. <laughs> um, Brandon, why don't you just start off with telling people what you accomplished writing-wise this oh, week? Oh, it's been a very busy week. This week, I've been working on this new book, and, you know, it's been... It's as of right now, the story is called Work in Progress. It's basically kind of following my love life and my memoirs or whatever, but it's not a memoir. It's it's fictional, but it's based on my stuff. Um, that has been very emotionally draining, but at the same time, very opening. It's very to take a step back and look at all the stuff that's happened. That's been very interesting, and I'm excited for people to read it and see what they think because I I. I stand there and I'm like, that is some crazy shit that I've been through and I can't believe it. <laughs> it is a, I know bits and pieces of your story, Brandon, and it is a lot. It is a lot. I'm like, is this normal? Like, this kind of stuff doesn't happen to people, right? Like, I'm abnormal in this aspect, correct? Well, one would hope so. If everybody had the same experiences as you. <laughs> A lot of people would just be crying be all over the place. Jaded. This is why I'm so <laughs> jaded. And this is an interesting month to pick to be working on that because New Age Gods is kind of, I don't want to say stalled, but it's at a point where it's with the beta readers and we're kind of in the editing process. So I can't really do a whole lot of work on that right now. So we switched gears. So that's what I've been working all on. All about all about pivoting right it's all about pivoting you got to learn to pivot like okay so what about you how what what have you been working on this week um honestly i've been doing uh an in-depth kind of edit beta read for a friend of mine named brandon oh sounds like and, a, uh, he sounds like a jaded old man he sounds like a great guy <laughs> and he's so i'm getting through that um i'm getting pe bits and pieces here and there of that edited and then i'm also working on rewriting a young adult uh manuscript that i had played with when i first started writing about four years ago five years ago i guess now and um it just wasn't working it wasn't clicking and i look back and i'm like oh it's because you thought you were a grand writer and maybe you're not quite as grand as you thought you were <laughs> But you are. You are a really good writer. I've read your work, and it's really... It, 
Thank it, you. It's it's very phenomenal. Like it's you're really good, and you've taught me a lot over the the short amount of time we've worked together. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. Now, Brandon, I already told some of our listeners, and Brian's aware, and now Polly's aware, that uh, you like to come in here with some random question to catch (laughs) me off guard. I do. I think it's a way for me to teach you how to pivot. And uh, I mean, we all have aspects we have to continuously grow on, and I think that would be a good area for you, right? Absolutely. So I was reading this article today. And there's this company, and they're what they've announced is that they want to. Um, this it's called de extinction. What they do is they're going to take DNA from a dodo bird and clone it and then bring it back from extinction, which, of course, is the premise for one of my favorite books in the entire world, Jurassic Park. I will say that. And I'm interested to know what you think of, is it life imitating art or is it art imitating life? Like, is there, because clearly the the original book was written a long time ago. um, And I'm interested to hear what you think about that. Well, obviously I am not the hugest fan of, reproducing dinosaurs and letting them roam free. I mean, I, I, I'm not debating that, but they want to do it with like the woolly mammoth as well. And that to me, I'm like, why would you bring back an animal that evolved to survive during the ice age in this time of our climate change? Like that's, but so I, I don't want to go into that. I don't want to go in. We're going to, I have some really strong feelings about this because my young adult manuscript is set in the Ice Age. Um, And so really, I've, you know, I've read articles about this, similar things before, and I don't think it is the end of the world if they bring the dodo bird back. I mean... It's not like it's going to have a massive impact on the world at large unless we want to start raising them instead of chickens and turkeys as a meat source. And I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of these companies and are trying to get towards is that, you know, a woolly mammoth would be a massive amount of meat compared to a cow or something else Mm -hmm. um and so i am not opposed to them bringing certain life forms back from extinction but there are a lot of ifs ands and buts yeah i mean for me like when i think about it from like a writer's perspective or a screenwriter's perspective or what have you right so there's this to me it's a cycle especially when you write science fiction and you're writing in the future you have to kind of almost see these little things that are happening that we're like i think this is going to be big down the road um and what happens is you make this subject or we'll say cloning in this aspect and it becomes a book and then it becomes a movie and becomes really popular and we as kids take that and then we grow up 
and we go into that field and then we remember as a child that was so cool and we kind of work towards making that a goal so i think there's this cycle of life and art imitating each other um and it's really interesting now to start seeing that in my opinion i know i will agree especially in the sci-fi realm i think there's a huge amount of uh progress obviously that has been made since the original genre kind of stepped out Mm -hmm. and um i think there's a lot of things that have come to you know to come to fruition and become part of our daily lives well and i think another example is um think of star trek now if anybody's a star trek fan out there you're gonna know instantly when i say computer (laughs) <laughs> they're talking to the ship right like they're talking to the ship and it holds all this data and information it's like that well we have that now and it's you know i don't want to say her name because she's over there she's listening to me right now um, <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna hear she's listening to everything i'm saying because she's got to listen to that prompt right oh, but absolutely it's just one of those things we start we see it as a child and then we kind of want to emulate that as an adult and we get into that field where it's like yeah i want to make that happen either consciously or subconsciously. And I I think it's really, it's an interesting cycle when you look at it from that aspect. Absolutely. Um, I think that more and more we're seeing progress being made in a lot of those areas. So my question to you, Brandon, is how do you feel about dinosaurs coming back? I I, I mean, I could see... Where, especially in, I mean, the whole concept is it's this company that's going to be charging people to look at dinosaurs. I could honestly see that happening if they can find the proper DNA and all that other stuff, right? Yeah. And as we progress with genetics, I think you can extract it more and more from less and less. So I, I could honestly see that happening. And it's kind of scary to think about, like, we can bring back these creatures that aren't are not meant to be in our time. They're not meant to be in our era. And I think within our lifetime, we're going to see an animal that is extinct be brought back and how that's going to play out in the world economy. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's going to uh, have a huge ripple effect. Yeah, I I would be interesting to Interested to see how it plays on the organ market as well, because and there's a lot of sci-fi books that cover like human growth, where they're they're growing these humans just for their organs, because if someone gets sick or something like that, they just basically replace their organs with this healthy person, right? So that is where it's like, well, now we have to regulate that more and more, and if if pivoting back to dinosaurs if dinosaurs do get brought back what are their animal rights like what are they considered an animal at that point so yeah absolutely so here's my thought on this um we already have a problem with methane from cows can you imagine the amount of methane a dinosaur or a mammoth is going to produce oh mm-hmm. So, I do not want to be around for a mammoth fart. I do not want to be around for a brontosaurus. Well, sorry, Diplodocus fart. Brontosaurus isn't a thing, right? Um, 
So it's not. Yeah, it it, it's, really? it was a, it, it, <laughs> the guy who the guy who discovered the brontosaurus basically threw a few different bones together and said, "Ooh, ah, it's a thunder lizard." And it, actually, no, it was it was proved to be a fake. Um, so Diplodocus, oh. yes, but not but not brontosaurus. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you can you can totally have brachiosaurus. And yeah, all yeah, 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 brachiosaurus too. Yeah, but <clears throat> and you know. God, T-Rex farts. Yikes. Yeah, I think we'll avoid most of that. At least I'm hoping so. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm hoping that this is more done more from a scientific perspective and something that is really cool that people have not seen and kind of having the wonder of it all type thing. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that it does not become a capitalist venture <laughs> although i'm sure it will see that's where you're that's where you and i differ you're hoping it it will like i it would like if that happens i 100 percent guarantee you it will turn into like the company's already raised to like two million dollars or something like that like ridiculous amount of money and i i can see them using it to their financial advantage we live in a capitalistic world and whatever advantage they have that's what they're going to do that's where jake and i differ he's glass half full i'm glass half i think i side with brandon on this um because because i can feel jake roll his eyes right no well you know look we are we are in the worst phase of capitalism ever and i don't trust anyone with money to do anything remotely right um so nope nope yeah um i'm also trying to recall the name of the group on facebook that is um that both of you would probably get a big kick out of and if let's see maybe if i just search for it it's dinosaurs against christians against dinosaurs or something like that Uh, um and it's basically you know the the strange Christians who believe that dinosaurs were around when Jesus was around, um, and uh, well, let let's. I don't want to go into this whole philosophical debate about dinosaurs and religion and all that. I just oh no, but let, I, let's, but it's, let's yeah. not even touch that subject because you know what? That's their belief. If they want to believe it, that's uh, that's your choice. Yeah, but I mean, I I have my personal opinions about it, and I, but. I know Jake does too. <laughs> but believing like... that the Earth is four thousand years old, I mean that's I I I mean you can yes, absolutely you can believe in as many sky gods as you want, but <laughs> um but anyway. <clears throat> I think I think, Brian, that I would love if you would email that if you can find it. Email that to Brandon because yeah. I am sure we'd love to look at it. Yeah, I will. Yes. It's dinosaurs against Christians who are against dinosaurs. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> um, Brandon. Yes. We discussed a little bit last week what we were going to talk about this week. You know, I don't even remember what we were going to talk about. <laughs> Rude. How can you not remember? I'm sorry. It's been a long week <laughs> we we put it on a list i know how much you love your list i do love my i love my check marks of my list of yes. knocking stuff out 
Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> we had talked a little bit about diving into what makes a book a classic. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, we did. How to withstand like the test of time and stuff like that. So, Brandon, <sighs> go ahead and tell me kind of what we were talking about with that. Because I know that you have a few classic books that you absolutely love. But you also have some classic books that you've read recently <laughs> that might not be your favorite. And, and I know where you're, you're baiting me right now. That's what you're I doing. am baiting you. You're baiting I've gotta, me. I've got to get you to talk more. So, backstory, I, I tend to listen to books when I'm at work because I sit in an office and I have my own office and I'm just sitting there all day. So, I listen to, to my audiobooks and kind of just enjoy it. Well... I wanted to get a couple classics out of the way for science fiction. H.G. Wells is one of my favorite authors. Um, War of the Worlds is by far my favorite book of all time. Um, so I went with The Time Machine, and then I went with... Um, oh my god, just blanks. I went with The Time Machine, and then I went on to um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and... That one was a struggle. Let me just say that. That one was a little difficult to get through. And I know I complained to Jake frequently about it. But I was like, I need to get through this. And it it's a giant. <laughs> it was awesome. I loved it was it. not awesome. It was, I think <laughs> it's a classic for its, it, it is a classic. I'm not debating that by any means. But I think looking back on it from our current modern perspective, it's hard to read it because it is a very large info dump. But for its time, it was the standard, and that's what you did. And it almost made me think, like, if we were to do that today, I would assume that the author went into Wikipedia, copied everything over, pasted it, <laughs> threw in some dialogue, and was like, done. <laughs> and I love the fact that... It was a difficult thing to get through because it was an info dump. But like we had talked about earlier, the reason behind it being a classic is the fact that for its time period, it was so revolutionary to have that much information and that much that that, much, that many new ideas brought to the public. Have y'all have y'all yes. read Moby Dick? I mean. I have that not. is the queen, the I queen have. of info dumps. Chapters on rope, chapters I, on sails, chapters on I, wood. I don't think uh, no. I have no desire to read that <laughs> because if it is, it is a difficult read. Again, for its time, it's done really well. But now, I'm wondering how do we as authors write a story that withstands the test of time, and that can become the next like classic, quote unquote classic, right? So I'm interested to hear what everyone has to say and for our, our recent joiners you are welcome this is an open discussion if you want to talk please feel free um just ask we will get you on here so how do we as authors do that like what do we do to make our books last for the next 100 years so at least for me i'm going to toss this out here the idea that there are books out there like and I'm, I'm going to be a little mean right now, is <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey. 
was an extremely, extremely popular book. (laughs) But I don't know that that book will ever be considered a classic or that 10 years down the road, people will even be like, eh, besides Halloween costumes. I I think that one became so successful because I look at that era of stories, right? And there was a lot of... um, and I don't my I in my books I have strong female leads and that that's what there was those trilogies there was that and Divergent and The Hunger Games and Twilight and all of these really strong female leads and I think Fifty Shades of Grey hit a particular niche because I it was I think it what started off as like fan fiction for Twilight and it it kind of just took off. And it hit the right, the right people were reading it at the right time, and it, it just kind of fit really, really well. And I think for a book to get that popular that quickly tells that story of if you if you're in the right place at the right time, it, it can make you can make it happen. Because if you you look at it right, and the story is basically this the guy dominating the woman, right, or what have you, and there's things about it you're like, well, that's kind of disturbing on a, I mean, on a certain level, because if he were poor, it would be not, I mean, it's not okay all around, but. Yeah, regardless, but. Regardless. Um, um, so so yeah, I, know, I, think, I think she hit the right place, right time for that story. But do you think that that book will become a classic or one that people remember in 30, 40, 50 years? I, I don't think it will because of the nature of the storyline. Like classics don't generally aren't the whole story revolves around sex, and like and their quote unquote love, which I'm not saying that they weren't in love, but it, it's it's hard when you have that theme for something to be a classic because well, it's um, Lady Chatterley's in lover? my opinion. I think that's a classic. say that again, Brian? Lady Chatterley's Lover. I think that would count as a classic, and it's all and it's and yeah. it's all about uh, basically an illicit affair. Um, that's true. I mean, I, I too think that Fifty Shades of Grey will burn on the trash heap of history, uh, deservedly so, um, because ew, heterosexuals, ew. Uh, <laughs> but stop it, oh, you be nice. <laughs> Sorry, that was that wasn't exactly what I meant, but yes, um, but um, I, I don't think that that sex um, necessarily precludes classic status. You have a point. I'm not, I mean, I I mean, I, it's hard for me to say because I've never read the book, so I can't, I'm trying to think, so I, I really shouldn't be judging because I've never read, read a book, right? You've never read that book by the mm. so I'm judging it by its cover, but from my understanding, and I very well could be wrong, I just don't think it will for that, the theme of the story. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to hear, like, Midori, hopefully I'm saying that name correctly. You are welcome to jump in. You requested. Feel free to jump in on this. Have you read the books? Hi, give me, like, two seconds. Sounds good. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Brian, while we give her two seconds, yeah, can you kind of speak to what you think makes a book a classic 
because we have so many books coming out now and I'd love to know what you think authors nowadays would have to do to become a classic book. So I think that's a futile task, to be honest, um, because I, I think you, you know, it is one of those things where you have to rely on history and you'll be dead um, to judge, to, to, you know, there's no way, they, I, I don't think there's a way to, to program um, classic into your work. Uh, I just don't think that's possible. Um, and I don't think it's a question of, of writing for the zeitgeist. I think it, you know, it has to be something that 50, 60, 100 years from now, people look back on and it still reverberates from them. But I don't know how to do that. I don't think anybody knows how to do that. Uh, certainly the people who are writing today don't write with that perspective. They write because they want to tell a story now. Um, and that's that's very valid. I mean, that's that's how it all began, right? Homer wanted to keep people entertained, wanted to tell a story now. So he, you know, memorized a poem that went on and on and on and just kept telling you know, and told it every night. Um, that's how it's that's a song that never ends. <laughs> yeah. Well, it did. It did. It did. <laughs> Penelope knows it ended, but yes. Um, <laughs> did we lose you, Brian? No, I, no, I, I just wanted to make sure that Midori, I, I can't see your whole name, but, but that the other, the, the other new speaker wanted, could join in if, if she wanted to. Absolutely. Um, okay. So now that I have something, I just wanted to answer your question earlier. Um, no, I have not read Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't want to read Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> um, I mean, Jake, Jake and I follow each other. He knows that I, um, and for those of you who are new to following me, I have a very strong objection to pornography as a medium for a variety of reasons. I don't come down as hard on erotica because mm. basically where I stand on the issue is that it's very science-based. So the long story is short of it is they haven't really found anything conclusive on erotica to show that it's just as addictive or it's just as detrimental. There are cases where it can be addictive, but nothing hard in the scientific literature to say so. So that's why I haven't read the books. Um, Absolutely understandable. <laughs> thank you, Jake. Um, but basically, from everything I've heard, it was overall, I mean, overall, it was just a really bad relationship and my position on the matter is that abuse is abuse yes like yeah. you know no matter how i mean i actually um made made like a statement not too long ago somebody was talking about you know they are reading a romance book and suddenly there's like an incestuous plot line and i actually know somebody who was a victim and they are still dealing with the psychological and even physical scars from the abuse that they endured and I personally will never understand people who include that because, you know, it's, I mean, you know, I think a lot of people throw this term around a lot these days, but, you know, romanticizing that actually is harmful. I mean, for me, that, to, to my understanding, that enables abuse. Okay. So I, my question to follow up on that very thoughtful statement, Midori, is, is um, what, how do we, how does consent fit into this? 
You know, that's honestly a really good question, and I don't have a clear and concise answer into that. Mm. Um, I mean, so as as a writer, should I be trying to avoid anything in my writing that might trigger someone else? I think the answer is no, but... Yeah, no, and I'm saying, well, I mean, let, let me put it to you this mm. way. It's one thing if you include incest and it's portrayed as not normal if you portray you absolutely call out and say yeah this is abusive and you know there are a lot of abuse victims who are either in denial or they can't really process what's happening mm -hmm. it's a whole other thing if you're taking that and romanticizing it and saying oh you know look how in love with each other it's like no that is abuse like don't try and dress it up as something else that it's not D does that make more sense I, it does it does I, I think though that there's a, a fine line do you, I don't know if you know what the Hayes Code was, but it was it was a I don't it, it was a list of principles that was developed in the um, late 1920s, early 1930s by a man named uh, Hayes, who was head of the Motion Picture Distributors Association of America, and mm -hmm. it said what could and could not be depicted in film, and mm -hmm. it included things that went against the laws of nature. And that was used very specifically to, to develop what is now called the bury your gaze trope. And so if- Yeah, I've heard of that. Right, so if gay people showed up in a movie, they had to die at the end of it, right? Um, yeah. Incest would have been one of those things that would have gone against the laws of nature and would not have been permitted within the Hayes Code. Um, mm -hmm. So, but I, I believe that, that that form of censorship is, is contrary to art. Now, I also agree with you that gratuitous depictions of, of um, and gl or glorification of uh, yeah. something like, like incest. I mean, I, I specifically left, <laughs> left anything related to incest completely out of my memoir, um, in part because, you know, the people involved are still alive, but in part because it didn't further the story. And in part because it's it's from my perspective gross, um, yeah. And but but I also recognize that that uh, there probably are people that won't think that way. Um, so I'm not can, I'm not going to write for them, but <laughs> but yeah. Can I can I Midori? I'm and I'm going to say Midori because I can't see your whole name. So Ansai, <laughs> hopefully helps. I'm getting that correct. I'm gonna. As an author, and I and I just like to get clear pictures, right? And this isn't. Mm -hmm. I, it would it be from your perspective? Would it be okay if you had a character arc where a character thinks that they're in love, and it's clearly a situation of abuse, but then you follow that character and they start to realize this isn't okay? Would that be? Would how would you view that at that point? That's actually a really good question, and I'm really glad you asked that. Um, I th actually would not mind that nearly as much because, like I said before, there are – maybe I didn't say this before. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think that there are a lot of people out there who are stuck in an incestuous relationship, and they don't understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think – Okay, I'm going to go off on slightly on a tangent, but it go, is go related. Go off on tangents all the time, so feel free. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, 
Jake might also know this. I actually know two women who are actually survivors of human trafficking. Mm. Um, and one of them, Elizabeth, was actually groomed from birth by her parents. Her parents were trafficking her. Um, and in, in they, you know, they were kind of setting her up like, oh, you know, if, if you really love us, you'll do this. And, you know, they were basically using her for their own means. And wow. she talked about how um, the first time that she started to realize something wasn't right was when she had a fifth grade teacher. And the teacher showed her, uh, she didn't, she never specified how, but she showed her like some level of unconditional love. And that was a red flag for Elizabeth at that point. She kind of realized, wait, something isn't right here. And she didn't realize what was going on until she was a teenager. Um, so, I mean, I think for a character arc like that, that actually could be helpful for victims that may be happening across this, if that makes sense, because maybe that will be the link that they're missing, that they'll start to realize, wait, something isn't right here. Does, right. does that I make think, sense? Yeah, no, that makes complete sense, because I think it's important for us as authors and storytellers in general to give, to here's the story, whether it's, it's not always the prettiest story. This isn't great, but we have that character arc where they start to realize something's not right here. And it tells that story. Yeah. So other people, someone might actually be in that situation that they're reading this book thinking it's about one thing, but it's really about this other. And it's like, oh, and they start to relate with that character and start to see those common things um, that's happening to them and how they get out of it. And yeah. I think that's important for us as authors to kind of, to not censor that is, I mean, you need to work towards your audience, obviously, but it's important to tell that story in its whole entirety. And with a per like uh, an eye that says, this is what happened. Right. Yeah. And I, I think for, cause I've been in an abusive relationship and it's not when you're in it, you don't realize it. Yeah, exactly. You, you just don't. And it's not until you step out of it and something has to click something somewhere and you don't know what that's going to be. And I think telling those kind of character stories, I think that's really important for us. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, can I offer one more data point? Um, yeah, of absolutely. course you can, Brian, you always have something to say. <laughs> <laughs> Queen, please. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so, um, one thing I know as I'm querying is that a lot of agents are specifically saying what they don't want in writing. And practically to a person, uh, every agent is dead set against receiving material that uh, includes violence against other personhoods, right? So that includes rape, that includes stories of, uh, I assume, incest which is, you know, violence against someone else's personhood. Um, that includes um, racist content, which itself is, is, is also violent, right? Um, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that uh, anybody will get away with that kind of writing. Um, you know, unless, of course, they, they, they self-publish and then, oh, God, all bets are off. But oh, that's that's what I was just going to say is I think when you, and to our other listeners, our listeners, you are welcome to jump into this conversation if you want to. Um, I, I look at it as, you know, they as a company don't want that sort of material. And I think yeah, that's their no. right. They have that right to do that. 
we as authors now have this beautiful route where we can self-publish where we didn't have that before and we're starting to get more honest stories out there and i think that's that's a big deal for um the writing community i think that's that's the route that's going to open up for a lot of stories is tremendous yeah Welcome to everybody that's joining us. Um, I would also like to add that I think a lot of times when we end up with classics specifically, they don't focus on some of the more gritty details or they don't focus on necessarily what what is... Uh, popular at the time, but they do kind of speak universal truths. And I think that's what Brian was getting at is really kind of pushing uh, towards something that is relatable despite the time period. Yeah, I, I think I see, I know what you're talking about. It took me a second. <laughs> yeah, no worries. I. The, the the rebuttal might be then what about Gone with the Wind? Do we consider that a classic or I mean I don't I think that ends up I think that ends up being something that each individual readership has to kind of go through because I there are a lot of books obviously that were written in different time periods where things are brought up and discussed and pointed out and that there those things are not okay and I think that's more what Midori was saying was that she or that they they want to make sure that when those things are brought up it's with a mind towards the current time period or the future where we say you know what racism isn't great and you know this that or the other isn't ideal um rs feel free to jump in at any time we love having new people come to the conversation uh, i'm sort of a new author so hello <laughs> I, hey how's it going so am i times and and things in history um and i'm thinking towards things based around world war ii and and things that have been uh that are actually uh, a truth um and when we have things like that i think it's just a matter of the author taking those historical facts or those realities and making sure that they are coming across in a way that exemplifies their mindset and standards. 
You're so well spoken, Jake, and I hate it. It drives me nuts because I'm not well spoken <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. I actually yeah, right. have an example that I want to throw in with that. Yeah. Um, Jake, when I asked you about um, the house on the Cerulean Sea, I actually asked about that with a reason for that. Um, do you how how familiar are you with the outside lore? Do you know what the deal is where the house of the Cerulean Sea was inspired by? I don't actually. I just know that I I enjoyed the book. Yeah, that's really good. Um, there are a lot of people around there screaming that it's problematic, actually, um, because what I found out was that T.J. Klune, who wrote the book, was actually inspired by a horrifying historical event that occurred in Canada, like sometime between the 50s and the 80s, I think it was. Okay. Um, and it was known as the 60s scoop, and basically... From what I understand, just from the peripheral research I did, there was this phase where they, the government was robbing, taking indigenous kids out of their home and re, forcibly rehoming them with um, other families. Uh, that wasn't a phase. Um, that occurred for more than 100 years. That wasn't – it occurred for more than 100 years? Yes, it did. Yeah. It didn't stop There's... until 1970-something. Okay. Like there. I said, I only peripherally researched it, so I yeah. only know the gist, but I don't know all the gritty details. Mm. Um, but he heard about that, and he wanted to create a story that showed the positives of having, you know, people from different backgrounds coming together. And that was basically, uh, it, for me, it was him speaking out against it. He was basically saying, you know, I, I took inspiration from this, but I don't at all condone what happened. But unfortunately, a lot of people have taken that as him condoning what happened. But I mean, the other side of the coin is, is that, you know, if they hadn't brought that up, I would not have known about this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I totally 100%. agree. 100%. Uh, uh, yes, agreed. Sorry, Jake. <laughs> no, 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 you're fine. I think, I think especially with topics that can be hard for people to relive or understand, those topics need to be brought to the forefront in a certain yeah. way because again like you said you would have no idea about any of that without having picked up or, or looked at the book and i think that him, i think that the clune taking that and putting a spin on it where we say you know what this would have been a better outcome I think that's yeah. really important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I also mean, think that... Uh, the... Go ahead, Arthur. Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say that I also feel like some people draw that conclusion that where they feel like you're condoning it or whatever, given the circumstance that you have in your writing. So, like, don't put that kind of stuff in there just to put it in there and give it a purpose yeah. and a reason that goes somewhere. Yeah, I actually... Do we all know what Jonestown is? Yeah. I, I think it's a fairly understood topic. So. Okay. Because some people don't know what it is, so I just want to make sure to be clear on that. To develop one of my villains, I actually bought a book on, on accounts from survivors of Jonestown because I wanted to find out what was it about Jim Jones that made them that made him so appealing. Why did they go with him? Why did they follow him all the way to Jonestown? And it's mainly because, you know, and a lot of them were also saying that 
you know, for the time. He was also very progressive. He was very welcoming. It was just unlike anything that they were going through at the time. And that's why so many people were drawn to him. But the case in point was, you know, I just because I took inspiration from a horrible, horrible man, that doesn't mean I condone his actions. I mean, I, you know, I, obviously he killed himself, but I would have been in the camp of nuke him till he glows if he went to trial. <laughs> I, uh, 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 there, I there's, there's a theory that he didn't actually die, but I'll, I'll, I'll. <laughs> let's not. There's, there's theory. Let's not yet. get into conspiracy Let's, let's not jinx this and actually have it be the truth. <laughs> um, let's. Uh, I I agree, Midori. I think that there is. I think that there is, especially as authors, we are such artists that we can use so much of life. And whether that is a, a good or a bad angle to influence our writing. And I think at the end of the day, we're trying to simply tell a good story, a story that speaks to other people. And exactly. if that requires, you know, some a deep dive into somebody's mental psyche or into a difficult time period in history. I think that those are valid reasons to um, to include those those bits and pieces that may not seem quite as pretty, yeah, uh, from the outside. Yeah, I, I always joke that you're going to hate everything I write just because I my writing does get really dark and it is kind of horrifying. Just because, yeah, I always laugh when you're talking about like, oh, I don't like horror movies. It's like, yeah, he's not going to like anything I yeah, publish. <laughs> I, I am very, I'm a scaredy cat, 100%. And it's, he is a big old scaredy cat. And hey, there's I, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I, we, no, nothing at all. Here. No. I also think it's an interesting age that we live in because we have so much quick access to stories and events that are happening. And it's, I think for us as authors, we there's that mysterious world 30 40 years ago where it's like all the there's all these great stories because we don't know a whole lot about them whereas now we have so much information and when they dive like when the media dives on something we know everything about it like that yeah. we know inside and out and i and i go back to like uh john benet ramsey um that whole situation like you can talk to somebody and they know ev like certain people know everything about it and there's this like, well, the did the family never really got time to kind of cope with what happened, but yeah, and I think that's that influences us too. And I, I also tend to think like when we think about writing events that aren't that people are living in, and I think of COVID, like we all live that. So if you have a character that's living during the peak time of COVID, you have to have that. That's part of it. So you need to tell the story of what that was like and i think people are already forgetting what that that 2020 was like in 2021 of how rough it actually was for all of us because generations down are not going to know that they're not going to understand what that's like if that all makes sense i think so yeah danny go go ahead i know you had your hand up was the original hello everybody i'm danny crazy i'm a self-published writer um the um was the original question something about the fact that the water, how the effect of classic novels on 
or classic books. So, yeah, so so we ended up question. on a, a lot of tangents so far, which I absolutely love. I love that we can do this with this space. Um, the original kind of question was, what makes a book a classic? What makes a book stand the test of time? And how can we as authors kind of strive for that? Oh, very good. Well, then may I pose, I ask, my favorite novel. Who has anybody here read *The Price of Salt* by Patricia Highsmith? I have not. I have not either. Um, Can you tell us a little sure. bit? Sure. *The Price of Salt* was written in 1952. Patricia Highsmith is the famous author that wrote *The Incredible Mr. Ripley*, *Strangers on a Train*, etc. All those. Hitchcock made movies of at least two of those, I believe. Uh, yeah. The uh, Anyways, but she is uh, struggled with it her entire life, but she was a lesbian. And she, uh, and that private story of hers, which has come out in literature lately, the family finally released her journal. The family lives in Switzerland. She, um, it shows an incredible struggle with that in her life in a, in a closeted time. And, and she finally just surrendered to it and, and gave up and, 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 you know, lived with it and accepted it, which was the best thing to do, I think. And she was, um, but in 1952, she wrote um, a uh, novel called The Price of Salt. And her publisher, who had just published Strangers on a Train and Hitchcock had already bought the rights, said, oh, we're not going to, said, this is great. This is one of the best novels we've ever read, but we we can't publish this lesbian romance novel. It, it'll ruin you. It'll ruin us. He said, "Well, you just find another publisher and publish under a pseudonym." She so she published it under Claire Morgan, and um, so it's 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 and so it sat there and so big, especially in pulp, uh, for decades. And in nineteen ninety or ninety two, she published it in uh, did a re it, it was out of print, and she republished it. Um, in the name Carol, and she um, put her own name on it. And then uh, a, a friend and an interviewer of hers, uh, a much younger person, she wrote a screenplay. And it just sat there in, in, the, in the ionosphere and floated around looking for somebody to make the movie. And uh, they made the film in 2015, and it was a critical huge success and somewhat of a theatrical one compared to a lot of films but it was uh you saw carol it had kate blanchett and rooney Moore in it and uh the reason i say that is, i mean that was that film if uh, if, I, if you've got the time i've got pulled up on my computer is the afterward she wrote when she published the 1991 and it's pretty profound it's just like a letter to her, to her readers may i read that uh, we have about nine minutes left, so if you can oh. fit it in in about three or four minutes, okay, great. thanks. Um, a new revolution was underway at the start of the 1940s in America. A paperback revolution would change the way publishers would produce and distribute books and how people would purchase and read them. In 1939, a new publishing company, Pocket Books, stormed onto the scene with the publication of its first paper-bound book. These books were cheaply produced and with a pricey, with a price of 25 cents on the light cardboard covers, affordable for the average American. 
prior to the introduction of the mass market paperback, as it would uh, come to be known, the literary landscape in America was quite different than it was today. Reading was primarily a leisure time pursuit of the wealthy and educated. Hardcover books were expensive and hard to find. Hold just a sec. You're good. I should probably print some business cards, so I'm going to bounce. That sounds great. Thank you, Missouri, for joining us, and we nope. hope to see you next week. No problem. Thanks for having me. So while Danny's doing that, uh, again, we're just kind of talking about what makes a classic book, how we can, as authors, kind of strive towards that using kind of those universal truths uh, that can kind of resonate through time periods. I still Danny, think you just jump back in whenever you're ready. <laughs> I still think it's pointless to to try to write a classic. Oh, I, I agree with you, Brian, in the sense that that shouldn't be your goal. But I think by using specific um, using specific characters or character arcs that resonate with people, I think you can put your book in a position that it could be. I think an author is better served by connecting to their readers. Um, and, oh, I, and, I agree. And, and finding ways to do that. I, I, I hear what you're saying, Jake, but I think, I think I would much rather trust to the judgment of history. Um, yeah, absolutely. I can see your point. Danny, are you back with us? Danny, if you're having issues, I think we can, what we can do is if you want to send that to Jake and I, we can post it and we'll post it on the writer's block on Twitter. And I think both of us, Jake, are you willing to share that letter? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. I think that way we can get it to out to everybody. Cause it sounds, sounds really well written from what I can, I've heard so far. Um, Cause we got about what, five minutes left on the show. Yep. About five minutes left. Yes. So thank you everyone for showing up. We, um, we're going to hold these this space weekly every Wednesday night. Um, just an open forum where everyone can discuss writing and all things writing and storytelling and what we're struggling with and what we're up to. Um, it is open forum, like I said, and you are welcome to jump in whenever you like. Um, yeah, it's been it's been fun. Yeah, I and, I, and I apologize, folks, but I did I forgotten that afterward by her is in the audible version, and that's on my phone, oh. so I can't play it and have my mic on. <laughs> no, you're you're okay, Danny. Don't no, worry about no it. No worries, Danny. Yes, that was. We are accustomed to technical issues around here. Okay, so I'm sorry. Don't worry about I'm that. Apologize. <laughs> I apologize. The technical issues are usually my fault, Danny. So don't stress it at all. They are, all, they are always his fault. Don't let him. Rude. <laughs> yep. um, what I started I reading was to... an editor's afterward, which is nowhere near as interesting. That's all good. If you get that to us, we will make sure and post that up to the writer's block. 
um, here on Twitter. Um, I would love to ask everybody who's still around if you have anything that you would like to discuss next week. This can be issues in writing or things that you're not quite sure about, whether that's word counts or how to query or who to query or you're gonna pub you're gonna self-publish and and you're brand new to the indie thing and you want to know how other people have done it um any questions or concerns that you might have that we could bring up next week yes antagon just uh requested to speak so i would like to hear i just started querying awesome How's that going for you? Um, well, I'm really glad I made a new email because of all the spam my current email gets. Yes. Otherwise, I'd just be having mini heart attacks every time I have a little notification on my phone. <laughs> um, so I've sent like maybe 20 or less than 20 out. Um, I got two fulls and a partial so far. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Congratulations. One full got rejected a few days ago, that's though, awesome. so that was sucky. So I only have one full and one partial out now. Well, you're at the beginning of a very wonderful journey, Antigone. Congratulations. I'm excited. And don't, and don't say only like you're downplaying it. That is something you should be very proud of. A lot of authors don't even get that far. I haven't. <laughs> so that you should be very proud of yourself on that. So congratulations. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, Jake, I think that's that's our time. We have about two minutes, minute and a half roughly left. You have any? We need to pick a topic for next week. What do we want to talk about? I think that honestly, we should dive into how difficult it can be to be very trenches. Ooh, yes, I agree with that one. Yeah, me too. Me too. Okay. <laughs> well, then I, I, I'm perfectly fine with that. Jake, you're going to be leading that discussion because I've never done any of that. <laughs> Brandon is an absolutely amazing indie author. He has two books out already. He's working on a third and a fourth. Um, and I love the fact that I'm going traditional and he's going indie. It gives us so much uh, diversity in how we view things. Yes. So I think we'll uh, we'll plan on that for next week. That sounds great. Um, again, if anybody has any questions um, or wants to discuss a specific topic, don't don't be afraid to reach out to either Brandon or I, or to the writers block here on Twitter. Um, we love hearing from all of you wonderful people because you're part of the writing community, and we want to expand that for everybody. Yes, and we are here to lift each other up. And yep. help each other grow. Help each other grow is the perfect way to put it. Yes. I uh, I think we'll sign off now. Everybody, thank you so much for attending. We will see you all next week. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.